2: Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio.
3: Now, before we talk to Sir John Redwood, Conservative MP, of course, for Awokingham, let's just have a listen to Grant Shapps, the Secretary of State for Transport, uh, on what he said
4: about calling people back from Portugal. This is a difficult decision. I understand that, you know, we are all. And desperate to see the world return to normal. that can only happen through the domestic unlock first we all look towards the 21st of June to see uh, what can be done and the data and we simply don't want to put that at risk through these figures uh, as we say as we say, as have seen in Portugal both the uh, doubling of the uh, positivity rate that we've seen and also this mutation uh, the so-called Nepal mutation on the uh, so-called Indian variant, which could then cause us problems down the line. So safety first to get our own lockdown. Yes, the support for the travel industry, who goodness knows have suffered throughout this crisis, is ongoing. We've got 7 billion pounds worth of support, which is still being paid out right now, including through the Uh, furlough scheme. Look, what I want to do with today's difficult, but I I hope decisive uh, action is make sure um, that we protect the future by not restarting problems, uh, which may or may not be there at home. Uh, We'll be able to get uh, international travel down the line opened more quickly. So it's a sort of safety first approach, which I see that Gatwick and others uh, have said uh, is an understandable approach. So this
3: was less than a couple of weeks ago. The Nepal variant, anybody remember that? The Indian variant, which is now called the variant that originated in India. He said, quite clearly, as did many government ministers at the time, the reason for telling people that quarantine was going to be effective as of three days from now, coming back from Portugal, was to safeguard the domestic opening of the economy. Quite clearly said that the reason for telling people to cut short their holidays in Portugal, to pay loads of money to come back, and to effectively put themselves into hock as a result to avoid quarantine was to safeguard the opening of all restrictions on June the 21st. It now looks like they're not going to do that. So if you went to Portugal, if you were forced to pay loads of money to come back early, I think there's only one answer. Get yourself a lawyer and sue Grant Shapps right now personally. Let's talk to Sir John Redwood. John, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. I'm very upset this morning, John, because I don't like being lied to. I don't like being played for a patsy. And I don't like the government shilly-shallying around with people's livelihoods. What do you reckon?
5: Well, I'm on the side of more freedom, as I think you know. And I've made that case many times. And I've sometimes voted against measures the government was bringing in. I'm still urging them before they make their final decision and announce it uh, this week to take into account livelihoods, the economy take into account the way the vaccines seem to be working extremely well, to take into account the other strategy I've always favoured rather more, which is doing the maximum to protect all those who are most at risk of the serious disease. The Vaccine is pretty good protection, But if anybody can't be vaccinated or if they're still worried about the residual risk with the vaccine, there are ways that we can support them so that they can limit their number of social contacts. But I don't think it means the whole of the rest of the country should be doing that.
3: No, of course. But how many more times are we going to have the same conversation, Sir John? Because at the end of the day, you know, we were told categorically that June the 21st was being protected because that was the most important thing for the economy. And I agree with that. And that was why people who were on holiday in Portugal and people who had booked holidays in Portugal were told that Portugal was now considered to be a dangerous place and you should come back early. Now, if that didn't mean anything, why did they bother saying it?
5: Well, I think in fairness to them, they always said that um, this was an indicative timetable, but they would be data driven right up to the decision point. And the bad news is that the data they look at is clearly deteriorating the way they didn't want. So... Let us wait and see what they actually say. I'm still hoping that there will be some relaxations uh, in addition to the ones we already enjoy. Uh, And if they really want an extension, I hope it will be a very flexible time extension with constant recourse to the data so that as soon as it's better, we can get out of this thing. But I would also ask them, uh, are you looking at the right data? Um, Yes, there's quite a big increase in cases, but if these aren't serious cases, if these aren't people who are going to end up in an intensive care bed, um, is it so much of a worry? Can't we carry on with the relaxation and can't we leave it to all of us Mm. to make a decision about how much risk we want to run? If I'm absolutely terrified about catching something, I won't go to a party. If I want a more normal life, um, I'll go to my office to do my work there rather than doing it at home. Mm
3: exactly right and the data frankly does not point in any way shape or form to a dangerous situation you know they can tell us that they think it does but we know that it doesn't because any number of scientists will tell you and me and anybody else who cares to listen that the number of cases is not the same uh, as the number of hospitalizations the number of infections is what they're talking about Uh, and that's not even correct because all this is when they say daily coronavirus cases seven thousand four hundred ninety. all that is is tests that have come back positive it doesn't even mean that there's a case doesn't even mean that all of those people are ill
5: no that's exactly right i mean some people have a positive test and the test is wrong some people have a positive test and they never have any symptoms they've they've technically got the disease but it doesn't trouble them and then some people do discover they've actually got the disease with symptoms and and we trust that very few of those now get the serious version of the disease Um, particularly the ones who've been vaccinated seem to have Pretty high protection against the the disease at all, and certainly against a serious version of it. So the government should give that more weight. And I'm just hoping that at this very last minute, after all this comprehensive briefing, there's somebody in the room making the case for jobs, livelihoods for individuals making more of their own choices. Because above all, I I want us to be treated as more responsible adults. And by all means, Sage and the medics set out the facts and warn us about how our conduct could be unhelpful to others and so forth. And then leave us to make more judgments, because I think some people are already doing that. Some people are already bending or breaking the rules. You need to keep consent in a democracy. uh, And I do think normally you have to treat voters as adults capable of listening to evidence and coming to their own
3: conclusions. Well, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for one. Uh, Sir John, has said that he will open his um, uh, theatres, come what may, uh, whether or not the government allows him to, uh, on the 21st of June. Now, he says uh, they can arrest him if they want, but he's going to do that. Now, if somebody as esteemed a businessman, as Andrew Lloyd Webber, is willing to put his entire business on the line, he's mortgaged his house, uh, you know, he knows that he can't make money unless there's 75% and up uh, in terms of occupancy of his theatres, he is willing to go to jail for this. You know, does that not tell Boris Johnson that he's got this wrong?
5: Well, it's certainly a powerful lobby. I would urge him not to break the law. Um, As a lawmaker, I feel it's very incumbent on me to say the thing to do if you don't like the law is to get us to change the law, not to break it. And it, it would be a very sad day if a great entrepreneur planted the law in a way which he ended up in prison. That's not going to help his business. But I understand his passion. I I think a lot of people want to go to events and live entertainment again. There must be relatively safe ways of doing that. Now we have the vaccine as a major option.
3: Well, not only are there safe ways of doing it, but there have been trials done, John, uh, which have shown that nobody actually got infected Once the trial was done, once people went into nightclubs, once people went into... theatres, It's not like he's asking for a free-for-all. He's saying he's quite happy for people to have to take a test before they are admitted. But then he can admit people and they can sit sit next to each other, uh, having proven that they don't have COVID.
0: Yeah,
5: all of that. And also anybody who, who is still very nervous about this thing, don't go to a nightclub. I mean, that's where... Freedom of choice comes in. Well, there's lots of bad things that can happen
3: in a nightclub, John. And I mean, if you don't like nightclubs, just, you know, if you're an anxious person, you're probably not not, uh, wise to go there in the first place.
5: No, so we leave it more to personal choice, in my view. And there's been so much about all this now, and a lot of evidence has been put out there. The doctors don't all agree with each other. The, uh, The people who study disease often get their forecasts wrong. So the public will come to their own judgments and they've got plenty of information available if they are nervous and they want to check it out.
3: Isn't there a problem here with the Tory party, though, John? I mean, you're a veteran uh, without wishing to uh, in any way suggest that you've been doing it for a long time, but you have. Uh, you've seen many prime ministers come and go. Um, well, I'm and... trying to get
5: better at it, Mike.
3: <laughs> well, so do we all. So do we all. But the point is that, you know, the Tories are in grave danger here for me. I mean, they don't have any opposition. So Keir Starmer is worthless, useless, hopeless, right? And they haven't really got anybody else that can do a better job than him anyway. But, but you know, this, this kind of goodwill of the nation that Boris was given with the 80-seat majority back in December of 2019, is in a lot of danger, I think, because, you know, people are getting more and more fed up. They've done what they were told. They've listened to the promises and they've seen them broken time after time after time. And you know as well as I do, in the end, you can't just keep breaking promises.
5: No, but I think also you, you do have to have some sympathy for the Prime Minister. I mean, I, I back the Prime Minister. I, I wanted him to replace Theresa May and he's done a much better job on getting us out of the EU than she was ever going to do. And that was and, that, and, and, yeah. that,
3: and he's done that magnificently. And I and I still support him in that. But when you see yeah. what was going um, on. So
5: he- then when he gets a, an, a, a pandemic crisis, global crisis, not of his choosing, and nobody knew how to handle it at the beginning. They didn't really know very much about the disease. They didn't know whether they got any drugs that would work. They had to work hard to get some vaccines like governments all around the world, they, they, there was quite a lot of trial and error and uh, waiting for the research and the information to catch up. Yes. But I think now, yes, it's very important we get as many people back to work as quickly as possible and as many of mm. our freedoms to be entertained as possible. And, and I, I do think there may be something seasonal in this disease and last summer um, it seemed to, to wane quite a bit. And um, ultraviolet light and so forth is, is meant to be pretty hostile to the virus so again you would think that the the weather at last is on our side and it, it allows you to have more outside events as well so can't we enjoy it a bit more
3: Well yes, stay with us if you would John, we're just going to take a little break and we'll be back uh, with Sir John Redwood after this on Talk Radio Mid morning with Mike Graham Talk
2: Radio The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio Talk radio.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Sir John Redwood, Conservative MP, of course, for Wokingham. Um, John, my worry is here, right? And thank you very much for waiting around. Um, is that this will go on forever? Because every single time they've told us, "Oh, we'll just have another couple of weeks here, another month there." You know, what, what, do we, what, what guarantees can you offer us that you know, if we are going to be put off for four weeks from June the twenty-first, that that will eventually be the right
5: date? Well, I trust the government will will see sense in the way that you and I do, and will want to end all this. Because the, the parliamentary situation is very clear, Mike. That there's a group of us on the Conservative side who wants to vote for uh, faster relaxation, but none of the opposition parties do. And if the government doesn't want to, then we're a, we're a small minority. Uh, but we're there trying to persuade the government that we we need to go faster and get into these relaxations. I think you made another very interesting point in your. Um, opening remarks mm. when, when you were talking about how people in power need to to live the brand and accept their own guidance. And, uh, and for example, I, I've been saying with this huge green conference coming up in Glasgow yeah. in November, does it make sense to fly hundreds of people all around the world into Glasgow uh, to then lecture the rest of us that we shouldn't have any international jet travel? Mm. And it, I think there will be quite a lot of adverse comment about all that. So I do well, quite. think... People who presume to tell us how to lead our lives have to bear that in mind when they lead their lives. Yes.
3: Well, President Joe Biden, I understand, is trying to encourage Americans to give up their cars, which I'm sure, as you know, as well as I do, Americans will not do uh, very readily, probably not uh, without having to have their guns grasped away from them as well. Uh, But he then takes Air Force One from Cornwall to Windsor. And you're kind of going, really? You you couldn't go (laughs) any other way?
5: No, it's, it's bizarre. And the, the whole green revolution, which is very much a top-down revolution, the, the governments of the world have assembled to tell us to do it just as they did again at the G7. It's only going to take off, Mike. It's only going to work if there are popular goods and services that are better and better value that the public wants to buy. Yeah. Because they're talking about all of us. And unless we want to scrap the diesel car and we want to rip out the gas boiler and, and we want to stop using private transport, it's not going to happen. So they've got to work with us and understand what would be better and cheaper for us.
3: No, exactly right. And that seems to be the bit that they that passes them by. And there is, I think this is part of what I suppose I'm talking about when I say the people of this country are fed up and they've had enough is they don't look at the parliamentary representatives that they have and they and see someone like them. They see somebody who appears to be relatively privileged, somebody who appears to be pretty well off, somebody who hasn't been damaged at all by the pandemic and by the lockdown, um, and somebody who perhaps doesn't really understand ordinary people's lives.
5: No, that's the danger. Uh, And the the lockdown and COVID trust is a one off, and it's an illustration of problems. Uh, But I think the Green Revolution, which I want to come back to, is in a way more significant because it's going to be with us for years. All these governments are very determined and I want to strongly send a very strong message to them to say you can only lead people in this direction if the people themselves are going to get something out of it. Mm. Uh, If they don't feel there's a privileged class that have chauffeur driven limos and fly around in jets. Uh, whilst telling the rest of us we shouldn't use cars or jets at all. Mm. Um, Now, I think the public are very understanding. They know that people have great responsibilities. They need more assistance with their travel. And and I I don't begrudge at all prime ministers and presidents using smart cars and private jets and all that kind of thing. and, And they work in them and on them. And that's all very good. But but it's very difficult. They then turn around to the rest of us and say you can't have your family car at all. Right. Right. Or if or, or you like or if or
3: or alternatively, John, if you're working and you need a van, which unfortunately, because you're not yeah. a multi-millionaire, uh, is twelve or thirteen years old. We're going to charge you upwards of forty quid to get into London for the day to do the work that makes you maybe a hundred pounds a day if you're lucky.
5: Yeah, and we're going to close most of the roads to your van so that you're going to sit in a traffic jam. So instead of doing two or three jobs a day, you end up doing only one or something. Mm. Or you decide it's not worth it. Uh, And London will be less well serviced. The more the mayor closes down, the more more all those tradespeople just outside London who would otherwise have driven in and done something. So I can't be bothered with the hassle. I've got the, the fee to come in. I can't find any parking. I sit in a traffic jam. I should be working somewhere where I can make some money.
3: Exactly. So what are you guys prepared to do if the news later on today at six o'clock at the press conference is that we are now going to stay where we are? And I appreciate that it's not fully in a lockdown. that There are things we can do. However, there are businesses that need to reopen properly. There are businesses that need to be able to make money properly. What are you going to say to the Prime Minister if that's what is the case? Then well, we will look
5: at what he said. We'll look at his evidence. And then if, if we don't agree with him, we'll carry on making the case to something better and different, Mike. Mm. But I've got to be level with you and your audience. We can't change this because all the opposition parties have already signed up for extending lockdown as long as the government wishes. Mm. And so the government has an, an inbuilt majority of several hundred on this thing, not not just 80. Mm.
3: I know, but you know that was what we were told they had on Brexit as well, and we managed to break that one. <laughs> Do you remember that? When they said, oh, but the, the bulk of Parliament doesn't want to leave the European Union. Well, good luck with that.
5: Yeah, well, that took a change change of personnel through a very good election result where yes. the British public were made to to vote yet again for Brexit mm. because the Parliament wouldn't believe the original vote. Which yes, I thought was a but,
3: but let's not forget that lesson, though, and let's not think that nothing can change just because there's a big parliamentary majority, because it can.
5: Oh, no, of course it can, and, and I, I'm not a defeatist. I think you know that. I do. <laughs> Quite a few knocks to the things I believe in over the years, but you carry on. But all, I, all I'm saying to you and your audience is all that I and my friends can do is just keep making the case... Mm because on something like COVID regulations, we're very unlikely to win a vote.
3: Yeah, Okay. So, John Redwood, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us. Conservative MP for Wokingham, a man who does stand by his principles, a man who is unusually um, right uh, and continues to be right about his views, right? But here's the thing. I don't believe for a second that Boris Johnson has any intention whatsoever of changing the way that he runs this country, i.e., for the rest of time, he's going to get these sage maniacs telling him what he can and cannot do. On the front page of the Daily Telegraph today, here's how many people have died from COVID in the last 24 hours. Eight. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm fed up to the back teeth of being told what we can and cannot do, uh, when we can and cannot do it, with whom we can and cannot do it, and where we can and cannot do it. I would quite like to go away. I would quite like to take my children on holiday. I would quite like to go and see my mother in America. I would quite like to see my daughter in Dubai. I can't see any of those people. I'd like to see my son who lives in California. You know, you might say, oh, lucky old you. You've got kids that live all over the world. You know, that's not because they wanted to move away from me either, by the way, before you say anything else. The point is this. Pub owners would like to be able to fill their pubs with people. People who work in the restaurant business would like to have their restaurants full. People who run theatres only make money if they've got a 75 to 80% occupancy rate in the theatre. People in the music business would like to go back to playing music. They'd like to go back to hiring thousands and thousands of people and charging money so that people can go on stage and perform. People in football stadiums would like to be able to actually sit next to one another. People would like to fill Wembley Stadium for England and versus Scotland. People would actually enjoy going to a full Albert Hall to watch Eric Clapton play. By the way, who happens to be a big fan of talk radio. We'll tell you more about that later on. But let us talk now to Greg Mulholland, campaign director for the Campaign for Pubs and chairman of the Pub Confederation. Greg, a very good morning to you.
2: Morning, Mike.
3: I mean, I say good morning, but, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite uh, peed off this morning, uh, quite angry. I've just, just had enough, really. I mean, I can't imagine how you feel.
2: Well, I think you express a feeling that many people feel, but certainly many publicans. But also, I think we had the sense last week of where this was going. And, you know, once again, getting uh, dithering, once again, getting the sense that things would unlock and they wouldn't. And the impact, actually, not just on profitability, not just on customer confidence, which still is nowhere near where it needs to be to to get pubs back on their feet, but actually the mental health of our nation's publicans is a very, very serious issue. And that's on top of having to deal with things like table service, which increase costs, have to have many more staff. Yeah. Um, it really is. I mean, as one of our leading members said this morning in a message, this is about the worst time because we're about to see, um, you know, unfortunately, landlords are now looking for full rent, despite the fact that businesses are still not trading anywhere near normally. Mm. You've got business rates coming up. You've got um, the, the the bounce back loans that now have to be paid back very shortly, even though, how you know, businesses haven't bounced mm. back. So... Yeah. There are things that I'm afraid don't add up, but it is. It's a it's a deeply, deeply worrying time, and this, I'm afraid, is a very depressing day for for pubs and pubs. Isn't it and... just?
3: Yeah. And what? So what's the story with bounce back loans then? Are they on a time basis? Are they on a sort of twelve month, you know, uh, uh, arrival date or something?
2: Yes, yeah, so they got to be. got to start being paid back in a matter of weeks, despite the fact, as I say, the businesses are not back to normal. Now that was not the basis on which they were offered. So mm. people took them on the on the basis that they would be. Trading normally again, and and that you know who could have foreseen where we where we got to now, but that is not the case. So one of the things that we're urgently calling for is for the government to delay that to now delay that at least another six months, because people cannot be paying loans back when they haven't bounced back. And that's one of our key messages. No,
3: well, they haven't made any money. They have no revenue. I mean, I'm told in the theatre business, for example, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys in in hospitality, that unless they've got a 75 to 80% occupancy rate in the theatre, they're not making any money.
2: Yes, well, certainly our, our publican members are reporting, you know, like for like, and obviously we're not comparing last year, we're comparing the previous years, you know, Taking's down probably anywhere from if you're lucky maybe only down seventy percent, but many pubs are reporting probably down fifty percent, down half. So that's just not sustainable. And I think the, the 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 really heartbreaking thing is that you know we went through that very bizarre, in our view, unnecessary outdoor only opening in April. But you saw the efforts that pubs and publicans made to get their pubs open mm. to create new outdoor areas to serve people outside which was a big challenge but they did it then they had the indoor opening but with restrictions but with table service not being able to order at the bar again unfair on pubs Mm. because you're allowed to do that in cafes but it was all based on the idea that by the 21st of june finally finally just as we get to the crucial summertime pubs could open again normally and now that's been taken away it seems clearly i'm afraid from the from the reports today, and that's that really is quite—it's devastating for, for uh, the the sustainability of pubs, and it's devastating for the mental health of yeah. those who work in them.
3: And it seems so unfair, Greg, because I mean, you know as well as I do. Without giving away the game, there are plenty of pubs that have been open uh, since May the seventeenth, which have actually had quite a lot of people in them in the sense that they could have been outside, but they were quite close together. I mean, I drove past a couple of pubs last night in South London, where they were all sitting outside, but they were very close to one another, uh, and they were under a sort of canopy. Now, for all intents and purposes, you might as well be inside, because the circulation of air is not much different, to be fair. Um, And there's no evidence whatsoever that people are getting sick as a result of that.
2: Yes, I mean, once again, as we saw last year when pubs opened, um, in England on the 4th of July. You know, there just hasn't been a spike. There no. hasn't been a spike caused by it. There, clearly, there are there are other things that have caused issues, and, and we're aware of those. But that's against the backdrop of having so many people vaccinated. Mm. You know, that that is a triumph. That's a huge success, um, and credit to all those involved in that. But that should be, be allowing us to get back to normal life, normal life in our pubs, and also, as you say, normal life in our theatres, our nightclubs, nightclub owners will be absolutely desolate because, you know, they are now facing not being able to open when they've been planning to open for the first time today. So, yes, you know, and and people saying, oh, well, it's only another four weeks. Well, those people are not, frankly, people who are going through the loss of income and livelihood that uh, many people in hospitality and, and in pubs are. So I'm afraid it's rather easy to say that when your salary isn't affected. But when it is, and when your whole future is on the line, when a successful pub is now on the brink because you still are not trading profitably, then I'm afraid four weeks can make all the difference, and that's our big worry. So we, yeah. you know, the government. If the government's going to make this four-week delay, the government needs to offer more support to stop the charging yeah. of four rents to delay business rates another six months and to delay the paying of bounce back loans. It can't just make these decisions Mm. as if they don't have an impact, because they do.
3: And how many of your members would you say, Greg, (laughs) off the top of your head, would be so looking forward to June 21st because perhaps they they haven't even opened yet because they're too small or or they have no outside business really to speak of, Um, you know, and this was really going to be their payday for the first time. I mean, are there lots of pubs like that?
2: That's right. I mean, it's it's a, a small proportion not yet open, but it's still a significant proportion. Um, and you are talking, you know, several thousand pubs in the, you know, certainly in England um, have not yet opened and they were planning to open, as you say, once they were able to do so. Some of them simply being too small to operate um, profitably at all. So yeah, another blow for them, uncertainty. They probably were putting beer orders in last week and then uh, you know, now it's all been crushed again. They will have to pour more beer down the sink. They'll have to cancel staff uh, rotors. You know, that's the impact. Every time we have this sort of mm. dithering and delay. And in the end, you know, we have the vaccination levels. Surely we have to get to the stage where we accept that we have to live alongside this horrible disease, the way we do with flu, We do, the way we do with other things. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and get back to some sort of Normality And Mm. certainly that that is so important that it happens as soon as possible for pubs. It's respectable. It's not happening today.
3: And there is some suggestion that they might sort of hold out a bit of an olive branch to people having weddings, you know, so that they can have more than 30 people at a wedding. Surely if they can do that, then there's no real logic for not doing lots of other things, is there?
2: Yeah, that's right. We, We actually wrote a letter, which you can see on our Twitter page and our website on Friday, because it was it was clear what the mood music was and that we were going to be hit with yet another delay. So our key demand in terms of restrictions is to stop discriminating against pubs and allow people to order at the bar. Mm. If you go into a, a you know, a Costa Coffee or, a, or a, a cafe anywhere, you can order a coffee at the counter, at the bar. I yeah. mean, I went to a motorway service station um, when I was able yeah, to... Yeah, they drop, seem after, to be exempt, don't they? Uh, and they're big queues, huge big queues in there and yet people are not allowed to simply order, not even order at the bar, never mind stand the drink at the bar, they can't even order at the bar, and that increases staff costs, it's putting huge pressure on publicans. We've written to the Scottish government about it, we've written to the UK government about it, but they need to drop that and stop that imposition, because there's no evidence that table service um, has any impact, is any safer in any way, so it's just unreasonable. So even if we don't get the full unlocking, which is clearly not going to happen, We really would hope that the government might consider that, though uh, I'm afraid we're not holding out much hope because the government, frankly, doesn't seem to listen.
3: No, I mean, you could argue the opposite if you wanted to. I'm sure you could find a scientist uh, down the road today who would say, if you've got Perspex screens at a bar and you've got a little hole where they pass you the pint, um, that's a lot safer, actually, than somebody walking up to you at a table.
2: Well, that was exactly our argument. That was our position. We felt it was actually putting staff at risk Mm. and of course many pub staff are younger many many pub staff under 30 not vaccinated yet and yet they're having to go to tables and interact very closely with customers Whereas you say if you have perspex screens as you do in cafes shops and indeed and we did see them in in some pubs last year you know that clearly to us must be safer it's extraordinary it's Mm. one of the examples of prejudice it's let's let's be prejudiced against pubs and have one rule for pubs yeah We've had too much of that over the last year. People are sick
3: of it. Maybe you should just open a pub down in Carbis Bay, Greg, because apparently there's no COVID down there. You can fly in from any part of the world. Uh, You can hug people. You can kiss people. uh, You can dance around. You can put your arms around people. And uh, nobody's bothered.
2: Perhaps a a bit far to get the beer to to travel and settle, (laughs) though, I imagine. So, uh, you know... We want to help our brewers as well. Well,
3: you know, they do make it down there. It's not the the ends of the earth. But listen, Greg, I have great sympathy for you. And I'm sorry, I'm not being flippant. But, you know, we're all so fed up with it. Um, I'm ready to punch somebody. I tell you, absolutely unbelievable. Greg, thanks for talking to us. Greg Mulholland, campaign director for the Campaign for Pubs, chairman of the Pub Confederation. I mean, the way things are going uh, with this more right government and their ridiculous policy on lockdown, we're going to end up with no pubs. There will be none. There won't be anything left. These people can't make any money do you have any idea what that's like have you any idea how depressing it is to wake up every morning and worry that you don't have any money that you have debts that you can't pay that people are going to come and repossess your car people are going to come and repossess the chairs and the tables in your establishment because you can't make any money listen to this boris for heaven's sake man
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Time to say a very good morning to Peter Hitchens, who I'm hoping will be a calming influence on me today. Peter, very good morning to you. Morning. I'm not normally an angry person, but I feel quite angry today, Peter. What can I do?
6: Well, what, I can't be bothered to be angry. I know. <laughs> we, we, we discussed this months ago. Yeah. I said, do you know what? They'll find a new variant and then they'll postpone it. And uh, I was absolutely right. And mm. they have and they have. And, yeah. uh, and uh, they can actually do this indefinitely. But if you think about this, uh, they're behaving as if the thing which they themselves trumpeted incessantly for months, uh, there's the vaccination of millions of people starting, quite rightly, with the most vulnerable, they behave as if it hadn't happened. It's as if, you, as if some lottery winner uh, wins billions of pounds and buys himself a Maserati and then decides to go round and round and round in an old banger and refuses to drive the Maserati. What, what is wrong with them? Either mm. this was worth doing, Either it was, it, it was, a, it, it had some point, and the whole thing was the achievement they've said it is, or it wasn't. If it was the achievement they said it was, then what the the fundamental reason for all the restrictions which has been advanced—I mean, I don't myself accept it—but uh, let's get inside the logic of these people now, and, and, and uh, assume for the purpose of argument they might be right. The fundamental purpose from the start was supposedly to save the National Health Service from being overwhelmed. And once you have successfully vaccinated with an effective vaccine. Uh, almost all the people who are most likely to be vulnerable and who would indeed uh, overwhelm the NHS if they all fell ill, then those circumstances no longer apply. So why is it mm. uh, that the existence of of a, of a new variant, uh, who's, which is which spreads slightly more quickly than the old variant, uh, is the reason for postponing something which was set back in February, at a time when the Prime Minister so said? You can't just go on shutting down forever and ever and ever. There is no possibility, I think he said in his February 22nd mm. speech, of zero COVID. Why is he acting as if he's trying to obtain zero yeah. COVID before he can open up the country? Uh, it, it's it, All this stuff about Mr Johnson being some sort of libertarian anxious to free us from our shackles doesn't seem to me to add up. There's no sign uh, of, in all the briefings and leaks we've heard of anybody in this government saying, come on. Uh, this the time has come to if if not now when yeah the time has come to say let's say goodbye to all this rubbish and let yeah. the country go again you get occasional hints even on the BBC this morning they were there was one a couple of business owners they said basically if it hadn't been for furlough they have gone bankrupt and even with as you were just saying the. The levels of opening that we have, mm. most of these businesses are not making enough money no. to sustain themselves or to employ people. It's it's they can just about keep the lights on. It's like a ship mm. that's got mm. enough power in the engines to 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 keep the lights on in the lounge, but but not to actually make the ship move forward. Until right. actually open up properly, the economy doesn't start again. And during all that time, the funny money continues to be to, to be manufactured, and that funny money is going to come back uh, in the form. In, in, everybody is now recognizing this. I, I was the first to say it and people I was derided by the fashionable economists. It's going to come back in the form of inflation, mm-hmm. which is going to be very, very serious for, a, for an awful lot of people, for the economy as a whole and for the value of the pound sterling abroad. And we're going to pay for it for years and years and years in lower living standards and higher taxes and poorer services. And, and still we have this ridiculous, uh, unacknowledged disaster of the, the the health service actually being overwhelmed by backlogs, mm. uh, that people not getting the cancer screening they should be having, not getting the treatments they should be having, mm. waiting months for appointments which before all this began uh, they would have waited weeks or even days for. It's just not being examined, and the furlough money continues to pour out. Uh, we can't just go on doing this as if it was a, 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 as if it was a trouble-free, risk-free, danger-free, damage-free option. Every week we continue doing this, we do more fundamental damage. It's just Every hour that a heart mm. attack goes untreated or a stroke goes untreated, it, it does deeper damage to the heart and the brain.
3: Yes. Well, this is the thing. Um, and they talk about cautious approach uh, and they talk about, you know, um, safety first. But there's nothing cautious about throwing everything else out the, the window while no, no, maintaining your hold on the one table that you seem to think is of some use to you.
6: That is precisely the point, and the people who are giving this advice. This point has been made again and again. They have nothing to lose, the the advisers, by saying don't don't relax, Mm. because they they're they're not accountable to 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 the people anyway. The only thing they're accountable to is the risk that if they're right uh, about all this, that 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 more people will die. Uh, If they're wrong and more people don't die, then no one will turn around to them and say. Uh, actually you've got this wrong mm. and you should you 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 should be you should be subjected to huge amounts of abuse the sort of abuse that, that you and i have had to endure for, yeah. for being skeptical about this over the past few yeah. months nothing of that kind ever happens to them. they're safe either way except most people are except having, having except
3: except peter that more people are dying but they're just not dying of covid which apparently doesn't matter
6: well yeah i think i mean there was a time when i i i, I spent a lot of effort going into all that but a few months ago, I realised that outside a very small minority of educated, rational-thinking people, there really wasn't any point. I think at the moment, one has to put these things very, very crudely uh, to, uh, to a society which appears to more or less become uneducated and irrational. Uh, the, the, the damage is worse if we don't let up, uh, and, it, and, and the. And the the, the shutdown has done a huge amount of damage, which will continue to be done as long as it goes on. And on its own terms, it's time that the government relax the rules mm. because on its own terms, the vaccine programme has been successful. Uh, they have done what they said they would do. The vaccines work. Millions of people uh, in the most vulnerable categories of the population are, are not going to fall seriously ill. Uh, the, the hospitals can cope. So why don't we open up?
3: Exactly. I think one of the reasons I'm more irritated this morning than I am normally is because of what I saw at the weekend with all these ludicrous, you know, G7 world leaders, uh, all of whom are on the public payroll, all of whom seem to think that they know better than everybody else, all of whom seem to be having a very nice time. Thank you very much indeed, uh, without doing very much of the things that they tell us to do all the time. Um, And we're paying for it.
6: Well, yes, and these boondoggles are ridiculous. I, I've never seen any purpose whatsoever in any of these G7s or mm. G8s or G whatever Well, nothing's come out of it, oh, that
3: I can tell. Well, it's it's a basic, worth a fag end, is it?
6: The basic purpose of summits for the observant is to demonstrate to anybody who hadn't realised it already that the, the police claims to have a shortage of manpower. <laughs> force.
3: There was literally a boatload full of them, 6,000 of them on a boat, uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, anchored off the coast uh, on a cruise ship. And normally, 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 there's twenty of them. This was six thousand.
6: Well, well, I hope they have had a nice time. I hope so they well, did. The, the, the thing made me laugh the most was that <laughs> some reporters standing in in Cornwall uh, 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 remarking that a double decker bus entirely full of police officers had just gone by. <laughs>
3: I mean, it is pathetic you could wait, you could wait years
6: for that. Couldn't you?
3: Well, you could. I mean, presumably three of them come at the same time, and then you know. Um, <laughs> the, the point. <laughs> well, of, the the, the, the of other. Them. The other great thing, I suppose, is that it allows the pomposity of the press to fulfil itself uh, mar- marvelously. I saw Robert Peston was moaning at the weekend that he was upset at the response he got from the Prime Minister when he asked him if he was a practicing Catholic, as if that was in any way relevant to the world.
6: Oh, I, I, I don't mind people asking. It's, 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 to me, it's actually an interesting question. But I, I, it, I but I have to say that I, I'm not sure I recognize Robert person in the street. I long ago gave up watching this stuff. And I used to watch television news all the time and listen to the radio. And I just find the effort uh, is simply not justified by the reward. No, it's really but not. Who are these people? Why should I care what they think about, uh, about the news? Uh, they've got almost everything I can think of wrong now for so long that it, it really isn't. To I know.
3: Well, listen, you are cheering me up at the very least. Let's talk about uh, your column this weekend. You wrote about a bakery that shut down. Uh, and yeah. while you were not entirely sure that it was just down to Covid, I mean, clearly that is having an effect now. And, and as we now know, there will be people who hear this press conference this afternoon at six o'clock who will be tearing their hair out.
6: Well, it's it's very seldom going to be just down to COVID, is it? I mean, I did I did what journalists should do. I rang up the bakery and I said, "Why have you closed?" Well, mm. I when I'd suggested that COVID was involved, and they 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 they've got very touchy and said, "No, no, no, not that." But right. uh, I, I've watched that place for years, and the, 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 there are problems with uh, with the Oxford covered market, which are not of interest to your to your non Oxford readers. But it, the truth is that I can't imagine if, if, if it would if, if the, if the long long shutdown that beautiful, airy, spacious market, when supermarkets were allowed to open uh, in the the, the height of the lockdown last year, I can't imagine it didn't badly affect every business in it. Yeah. Uh, And that that effect accumulates. It's very seldom one thing that kills a business. Businesses, people who run businesses for whom I have tremendous admiration because of what they have to go through, they're constantly being assailed by, by higher rents, higher taxes, more regulation, a more interference uh, and the a general non-cooperation by their landlords and their suppliers. It's an it's endless struggle. To have, to have a shutdown on the grounds of public health uh, dumped on top of all that which seems to me to be pretty likely to be fatal to a fairly large number of businesses which might otherwise have struggled on for some time.
3: Well, exactly right. And, and while we're on the subject of Oxford, I mean, uh, it does—it has been in the news quite a bit lately. I see that the only reason now that they're not going to take down the statue of Cecil Rhodes is that it seems to have been part of an integral uh, building works. Uh, so it's part of the building. They can't take it down, uh, which is, I suppose, good news for all racists in the world.
6: Oh, let me be completely frank with you. I couldn't care less if that statue comes down. I know. It's quite ugly. It, it looks like the statue of a bookmaker.
3: Yeah, well, you can't right. even really see it anyway. You have to sort of look up, you? Don't you?
6: Really, you, you could go past it time and time again. I, I'm a great looker up what I'm in Oxford. Cause mm. It's fascinating. You see lots of things. It's a, not very far from it, there's a, there's a sculpture of a rotting corpse on the front of another building, which I haven't <laughs> but, but there is old Cecil, and I don't really care whether he's there or not. The only reason that, that I would... That, that, that I just object to the idiotic... Uh, belief that by tearing down statutes of this kind, you'll in some way make, make the world better. Mm. Uh, but I, it, it's it, any excuse. I think they, they've come up with a with a planning excuse, partly because the government has, the Tory government, having realised that for 20 years or so it's been insulting everybody with conservative opinions in the country, has got this uh, this new anti-woke policy, mm. uh, where it actually is, uh, vaguely says things which are not totally approving of taking the knee. And it's, uh, and it's planning people support the, the Oriel College in not taking down the Rhodes statue. This is opposed as much as everything else that it does is. They don't really mean it. Uh, but at the mo- it, just for the moment, the climate has, has changed a bit. Uh, I, I haven't... I, there were some very big anti-Rhodes demonstrations in Oxford last year. I haven't seen any sign of them. No. Uh, I well, this I mean, the latest... didn't really care.
3: Well, the latest is the, the dons all saying they're going to go on strike, which probably is a good thing in my view. Uh, saying that if it's not removed, they're not going to teach the students.
6: I just think that is so petty, and I, I don't, I'm not sure that a university could really accept uh, if it was a serious university it could really accept any of its teachers mm-hmm. refusing to teach the students there mm. uh, on the grounds of a political prejudice against the college they attend. Yeah, imagine mean, seems- that being reversed. Uh, In in, in a conservative way, and imagine the enormous rally. I don't know who these people think they are, frankly. If your if your job is to teach the next generation, then you teach them. Yeah. It doesn't matter what college they go to or what statue might appear on no. the front of that college. It's not, it's not actually as if the, the undergraduates of a college have any say in that
3: at all. Not exactly right. Stay with us, Peter, if you would. I want to talk to you about uh, identitarians. I think that's what they're now called because um, uh, there's a bit of football uh, to mention as well. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We're talking to Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. And Peter, in your column, you wrote about Nick Robinson referring to, um, uh, I think it was uh, an actress uh, as an actor, uh, thereby betraying his kind of, uh, his, his woke roots, if you like.
6: Well, it's, well, I think most normal people do still use the term actress. I've no doubt that in time it will be driven out of public life. But for the moment, that's where, if, if you're asked... Uh, what Kate Winslet is, you'll say she's an actress. But the Guardian, for some time, and various other left-wing oh. outfits, have been promoting the, the the terminology "actor" for actors and actresses alike. And I just noticed that uh, that Big uh, Robinson on a on a Radio Four item the other day both called her an actor and also referred to her as Winslet, uh, with no <laughs> <mere> sort <of laughs> or sort of thing. Now, I, th- I was trained. In, journalism, that you only use someone's surname without an honorific if they were a convicted criminal. Yes. Uh, it was quite rude to use Winslet. But again, The the, the Guardian pioneers this, uh, and the, the left-wing publications in general. But I, I just get tired of people telling me all the time, oh, well, the BBC is really right-wing. Look at Nick mm. Robinson. He was a young conservative once, a, a phrase which always sounds to me like thin pig or right. quiet quiet rock concert. Right. Well, so was Boris Johnson. Whether he basically. was or not, I don't know, but he seems to, I just thought, thought it was worth pointing out that he'd adopted the terminology of the Guardian, which is what everybody at the BBC reads and where they all yes. get their ideas. Well, I thought you
3: might, in. I thought you might enjoy this addendum to that, which is that over the course of the weekend when the football was on, which you may or may not have watched any of, no. notwithstanding Notwithstanding the taking of the knee scenario, they've now changed the phrase man of the match to star of the match, because obviously uh, they don't want to be too gender specific about men playing football.
6: Well, no, and we can't have that, can we? Because obviously, <laughs> in, in all these—I mean, I, I don't watch it, but I, I'm so vaguely aware of the fact that whenever it happens, it seems to be entirely composed of men. Yeah. Uh, but uh, well, must be the other—the other, the other one was but, ITV.
3: On. ITV's coverage yesterday—they had the uh, the woman whose name I don't know, I'm afraid, but who is the women's uh, Chelsea football team manager. Um, and they captioned her as Chelsea manager. Um, so I was sitting in a room with with some people, and one of them said, is she the Chelsea manager? I said, no, she's not the Chelsea manager. She's the Chelsea women's team manager, but they can't say that, because obviously that would be in, in some way unfair.
6: Because, because the two things are the same. Yeah, It happens all the time. I mean, I, I, I was in church yesterday, and the word uh, in the very ancient prayer in the 1662 prayer book, the word, Man was changed to person by um, by, by, uh, by a minister of religion, and you get this thing on the railway that if if something's gone wrong with the signals, it's no longer they no longer refer to the signalman, which of course is the the phrase which we all grew up with, and I've no doubt appears in Thomas the Tank Engine and all the other places. It's the signaler, but when I hear the word signaler, I, I, I tend to think of uh, of soldiers, Yes. wild signalling with semaphore flags or flashing all these lamps. And I, and it confuses me completely when they refer. I, I don't even know if there are any female signalers on British railways, but they have to call them signalers just in case there are. Right. I, we, are we are supposed, to, I think, by all these terms, we're supposed to be stupid. Uh, the, the whole, the whole basis—if you, you can't cope with the idea that, that, that man might be used for the whole of mankind, including women—yeah, like chairman. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not so much the fiddling with the language that annoys me; it's the assumption that. that I'm so stupid that when I use mankind, I'm actually making an anti woman or sexist stuff.
3: Yeah. I know. Well, I found a new sign yesterday, uh, which will please you, I think. Um, I was picking up my children from a railway station, and on said railway, it's one of those old-fashioned railway stations in Sussex where they've got, you know, it's an outdoor thing, and there's got a couple of benches and stuff. And one of the benches has three seats, and on the, the furthest left of the seats, there's a sign that says, out of use, Please keep your distance. Now, it doesn't make sense to me because what I didn't realize when I read the sign, I didn't know if the whole bench was out of use or just the third seat. And if the third seat is the one that's out of use, that means surely the two people sitting to the right of it are too close together. Shouldn't the middle one be out of use? You'd think so.
6: <laughs> but but again, you're doing this this very foolish thing of applying reason <laughs> and, and, and common sense to a circumstance where in fact what we are in still engaging is a complete national bank. said so again, the Hitchens quotient. How many people are roaming the streets uh, in the open air, uh, wearing face coverings? Uh, continues to rise. And yeah. There, there are yeah. huge numbers of them. I th- I think even when everyone's forgotten what COVID is, they'll still be doing it. Yeah. Because they like it. And it makes them feel safe. And, and and here we have it again. The 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 the, the terror has been spread. People are, are afraid. They're enjoying mm. being afraid. And they enjoy. Well, you're going to carry on. Yeah.
3: Them, well, uh, uh, my but pa- my, my you, children. You, you, and
6: I, you and I may think the continued shutdown for however long it is will be announced tonight is ludicrous and futile, but there are millions of people who are perfectly happy to accept, well if it saves one mm. life I, and, and they'll continue to do it because they, apart from anything else people simply have not begun to understand And the, the level of, of particular economic education in this country is, is so low it makes me look clever uh, they simply have not begun to understand the profound cost of this no way in which that cost will be taken out of them. Mm. But also the
3: effect, and I'll leave you with this one, uh, which my kids told me when they came off the train that they'd seen a terrible thing at the previous station where an old lady, um, who was clearly in her 80s, if, if not even older, got up to get out of the train at the previous station with a Zimmer frame. She asked a couple who was sitting next to the door if they would help her to get out of the train. The man said, apparently, fully masked up, when was the last time that was sanitised? meaning the zimmer frame. Oh, no. And so they very kindly, and I'm glad I brought them up properly, uh, he refused to help her. So they helped her to get out of the train. But, you know, that's what they oh. are dealing with.
6: Oh, oh, how awful. Isn't that's it? That's so sad. Isn't it just? They just demonstrate, I'm sure, oddly enough, that the people who do this are in, in normal circumstances perfectly kind. But again, they're so bound up with this this fear oh. that that's a tremendous fatal plague is raging amongst that they actually become unkind. That's what fanaticism does to
3: people. Yeah, it does. And I'm sorry that's, because that's actually, an you've... incredibly sad story. It really is. But you've spent the last half an hour cheering me up, Peter. And I'm sorry to end it on a on a low point. But but thank you for that. I feel less you angry stay now. Pers-
6: stay pessimistic, and you'll stay. You should uh, you
3: should rent yourself out as a as a cheerer upper. That's if another you job you never do. thought you'd have. <laughs> nice to talk to you. See you next week. Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday colonist. I do actually feel better having spoken to Peter. Not because um I'm gonna be pessimistic, not because I'm 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 not angry anymore, because I'm still angry because people are angry today and it's what we should be, I believe. The independent
6: republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Let's talk to Rob Ashton Kane, Product and Customer Service Manager at Hargreaves and Nurse Holidays. Rob, how you doing?
7: I'm very well, Mike. Nice to see you
3: again. Yeah, nice to see you again. Now, I should remind people that you kind of specialise in in villas and holidays in in, uh, sort of islands in the Mediterranean, Sardinia, Corsica, that kind of thing. Um, What's been happening since you and I spoke last, which is probably a lot
7: longer ago than I remember? (laughs) Uh, Well, in a nutshell, nothing positive, very much negative. Uh, Firefighting, basically. Uh, dealing with, I mean, you, you've sort of hit the nail on the head with what you just said there. People are just fed up. Uh, they've no longer got any confidence about going on holiday because of all the rigmarole that they've got to go through when they get back. And then even now, we are sensing that even if the islands that we feature are figured on a green list, What's to say that whilst they're on holiday, it go, won't go back to the amber? Well, that's, so, the, that's he, what
3: people have now seen because they saw. I mean, what's even more galling, I think, to people, and I said this at the start of the show, is that, you know, we were told by Grant Shapps and other members of the cabinet that the reason why Portugal was put on the, the amber list was to safeguard June the 21st so that we could reopen the economy. That's not happening now. So if, no. I, was, if I had
7: been affect, affected by that, I'd be suing these people if only if only it was possible this is the problem that we've got here that i mean you use the words so i will dare to use the word we have been lied to yeah. uh, we were told that this traffic light system that was introduced on the 17th of May was intended to quote open up international travel yeah. and it hasn't basically all it's done is instead of making it illegal it's making it completely improbable yes. um and and impractical frankly
3: Yes. And I mean, I wonder sometimes as well, Rob, as you must do, are, is there intention simply to make it so complicated for people to go anywhere that people will just give up and they won't bother?
7: Absolutely. That is absolutely my opinion. Yeah. It's, they, they can't be seen to say you can't go on holiday. Right. So, you know, with the caring, sharing government, you can if you want, but you probably better haven't.
3: Right. Yeah, because it's one too difficult, two too expensive, and three uh, it might all go wrong while you're away. And I mean, in terms of your sort of your 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 areas that you service, what are the sort of figures in those areas? Because I assume if they're relatively small islands, which they are, um, the the cases aren't that high, are they?
7: I would use the word negligible both in terms of the infection rates, the hospitalisation rates no deaths, mm. you know, it's a hell of a lot safer to, to come to Corsica Sardinia and Sicily than it is to stay in the UK frankly. Yeah. yeah, well
3: listen I'm thinking of emigrating Rob if it carries on like this <laughs> you know, I may I may not be coming for a couple of weeks, I might be coming for a few nope. years Not a problem I mean, you problem. know, so I mean but as, as a business owner and as a man who, who needs business to make a living how are you coping?
7: Uh, Well, I think I, I I I speak for the industry in general that this cannot go on for much longer simply mm. because we are getting we have no cash flow. People, even if we only work on very small deposits, for example, when people book a holiday, people are just not booking holidays. Yeah. When it comes to paying their balances, they're saying, "Well, I don't really want to travel. Can I postpone? Can I cancel? Etc. Cetera, Etc." Cetera. So you know, we we like everybody else in the in the business. It yes we are getting some support for the government i'm not going i'm not going to lie but the problem is is that 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 is not what we do we have no. to trade And at the moment, we can't trade because people just will not go on holiday. And you can't really blame them. No,
3: and the biggest problem, I think, and and I mean, I don't know whether it's the same for your business, but all the people in hospitality that I know who were getting uh, some help from the government when they were closed, all of them Mm. said without any exaggeration that the money they got from the government did not cover their costs in any way, shape or form. You know, it was something and they were grateful for that, but it wasn't enough, really. And so they've had to go into debt as a result. And they're now trying to make it back. But the other problem is, I mean, I'm assuming there would have been people booking holidays maybe, I don't know, a month ago after May the 17th, when they thought June 21st was a, was a good date, because the one thing, you know, is that once the school holidays kick in, it all gets a bit expensive. If you can go, you know, like back end of June, it's a bit cheaper.
7: Yeah, yeah. no, we we, we we had we did see a, a, a peak in or a spike in uh, inquiries when they announced the traffic light scheme, thinking that, okay, well, yes, at the moment it's amber, but there's a review due in June. So by that time, because of all the infection rates going down and down, then it'll be safe, we'll book something for the end of June. Mm. And of course, those people that have have then said, well, actually, no, I don't want to go, uh, I can't go, I'm not gonna go through all this quarantine, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, you know, they, they're then faced with the stark choice of either postponing it to next year or cancelling. Uh, and, the, and the problem that we have, is that, you know, we get we get criticised for being the, the nasty tour operator that's ripping people off, not just us, but the tour right. operator in business in general. Right. What people don't seem to appreciate is that we have obligations to the hotels that we book the holidays with. And they are basically saying, I don't care if you're coming from the UK. Mm. Everybody else can come on holiday. So, sorry, um, you don't come, you lose your money.
3: Yeah, but I mean, I'm looking at uh, flights, for example. I mean, this is how far away people are looking, October half term. Which might be, uh, you know, under some strange alchemy, uh, possible to do. (laughs) Do you know how much they want for a flight to Tenerife? Nine hundred and fifty. Nine hundred and fifty quid per person. There you go. So, family of four—that's already going to cost you four grand just for the flights. Yeah, that's incredible,
7: isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know can can do do people really want nothing against Tenerife as a destination, but do people really feel that they want to spend four grand to go to Tenerife before they even get to whatever accommodation that they're choosing? Well, exactly. I, I doubt mean, it.
3: That's the that's I the problem. Um, and, that, and and it's just such a horrendous scenario. I mean, have you had people who did book post June twenty first coming on to you saying, Look, we're gonna have to cancel it?
7: Well, we've we I mean we've got yeah, we've we've got we've got lots of people. I mean at the moment we are, we won't have anybody traveling in June,
3: right?
7: So, you know, anybody that had holidays booked in May and June of this year have either postponed or canceled. Um, Obviously there is a review due on the 24th of June about the traffic light system. But if we're all honest, we're not holding our breath and we're not hoping that that's, you know, holding out hope that that's going to change our destinations to green. And as I said before, even if it does, do people have the confidence that it won't just all of a sudden go back to the amber again, right. like they did in Portugal? I know. I know it's an absolute nightmare. But I mean Ridiculous. I mean you can't really go on like this, can you, Rob? No, no, absolutely not. I mean we, we what we yes, we appreciate the, the financial assistance that we're getting from the government. I'm not going to dispute that. But what we need is is help from the government in getting the business back up and running again. We need some concrete um, dates. I mean, they keep going, oh, well, we're not being led by dates, we're being led by data. Well, that mm. clearly is not true, because no. if that was the case, then they wouldn't have shut Portugal well, down. I mean, here's,
3: and- a, here's, out- some, here's some data for you. A uh, number of deaths yeah. yesterday, uh, eight. How about that for data?
0: Hmm.
7: You know. Clearly, yeah, yeah. Overrunning the country, by the looks of it. I mean, you've yeah, probably got more eight.
3: people dying doing water sports in the Mediterranean on average summer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know which which yeah.
7: wish, wish light of it, but I mean, I'm starting to get well, to the point where I'm kind of going,
3: <laughs> you know,
7: well, do you it's something. Just, yeah, I, it's it, it's just it's so frustrating. And I mean, you know, we wrote we wrote a letter to our local MP about this yeah. uh, quite a few days ago, and we've not even had the acknowledgement of receiving the letter, let alone any constructive observation or or assurance that he will look into it or whatever. It's just. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the problems that the travel industry has got is that you've not seen plastered all over the news about big tour operator collapses due to COVID or, or, or you know, a tour operated travel agency goes out of business and all the rest of it, because we're a very resilient industry and we've managed to, we've managed to survive this far. And I think we've become literally the victims of our own success and the yeah. government think, well, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be all right. Don't worry about it. And yeah. Then, when we do stick our heads up and say we need help, we go, Well, there isn't really anything we can do
3: for you. Well, we look at, I mean, we were told that the G7 I mean, the only thing I cared about coming out the G7 uh, was if they did some kind of a deal to open an air travel corridor between the US and the UK, you know, because at least there's somewhere you can go. But they didn't even Mm. do that, you know, all they did was went to the Bleed Needing Project and, you know, ate some uh, turbot um, and watched the red arrows. It didn't seem terribly green to me.
7: No. No, well, and Boris turning up in his own private jet. Yes. The photo opportunity, that's mm. it's hardly uh, environmentally friendly, is it? No, yeah. I mean, I think one shouldn't pick out individuals because I don't think there's any one individual in the government's to blame. I think it's the cabal mm. that is causing this, and, and they're all sort of... Uh, that None of them dare criticise any of the others or speak out of turn, and, and if ever they dare do, then they get slapped down again. Yeah. And so, you know, w- there is no there's no certainty in anything it's the uncertainty which is the problem yes. people will not book a holiday if they know if they don't know they can go on holiday and, mm. and clearly you know we can't we can't invest i mean there's no point in us for example advertising our holidays because we don't know whether anybody's going to be able to go on them anyway so yeah. it's, it, you know is it money well, down i was going to say i
3: mean is it worth looking at your website
7: uh, rob uh, or will i just get even more frustrated please look at it and book um, you know we are we are flexible people can book we we our, our terms and conditions are very very flexible we do understand the situation we're members of ABTA so we follow their code of conduct when it comes to people being advised not mm. to travel by the FCDO you know um, but uh, would anybody genuinely is anybody really thinking about booking a holiday at the moment if unless they can have that confidence yeah. that they can go and they won't have to jump through all these hoops when they go home mm. again
3: well give yourself a plug since you're here
7: well we are hargreaves and nurse trading is just corsica just sardinia and just sicily okay uh, tailor-made holidays for people from the uh, the two-star three-star hotels right up to five-star luxury villas we're here give us a call come on our website Come on holiday with us,
3: please. All right. Good man. Rob, thanks very much for talking to us. Hopefully, I might see you soon. Uh, Rob Ashton Kane. There's no absolute and utter um, hope for that right now, but uh, I might just go and have a look just to make myself feel better, for heaven's sake. The Independent Republic of
1: Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Let's now speak to Stefan Kiriazis, who is the stage editor at the Sunday Express and the Sunday Mirror, because one of the big stories of last week, which may now come to pass, if indeed uh, what we expect Boris Johnson to say at six o'clock actually is said, Andrew Lloyd Webber said last week that he needs to open his theatres fully. He needs to be able to sell tickets to every single seat in the theatre. And he says he's going to open them, no matter what, come hell or high water, uh, on June the 21st. So even if Boris Johnson says he can't, he's going to do it. And he's going to risk getting arrested. Stefan, very good afternoon to you.
1: Hello. Hi. Good afternoon.
3: I'm hearing basically that the the, the figure for most uh, theatres is around about 75 to 80 percent full before they start really making proper money. So at the moment, with only, I think, somewhere between 25 and 50 percent
1: availability, they're not making money. No, this is this is the massive issue. And what's been happening at the moment is we've had some smaller shows opening already. But they're shows that either have very little staging, a smaller orchestra, or even a live backing track. So these don't involve massive overheads. But any of your classic, big, public-pleasing, we dream of tourists coming back, these massive London shows, they can't return mm. with small audiences.
3: No. And the funny thing at the moment, Stefan, as well, and you know this better than me, is that you walk around the West End, particularly Covent Garden and where a lot of the theatres are, it's still pretty quiet. I mean, is there even enough demand for for those tickets to be
1: sold? Because there's no tourists here. Well, this is very true. It's getting busier, and I have to say, I went to the opening night of Here Come the Boys, and I came out at Oxford Circus, and I I promise I'm not spinning this or, or PRing London. It felt pretty normal to me outside that kind of busy part of Oxford Circus. Mm. It was packed, and there were people on the streets. Obviously, there were a lot of people coming in for the theatre. So there are people around. There's absolutely no, not enough tourists um, and also out of towners, You know, whether it's domestic or international tourists. Yeah, right. and this is crucial for London theatre.
3: Absolutely. And what's the status at the moment, for example, of all the people that work in the business? Because, you know, people think of the people on stage, but there are so many people backstage, behind the stage, selling tickets, you know, people who are ushers, people who are selling drinks at the bar. I mean, it's a huge industry.
1: It's dire, it's absolutely desperate. And this is outside theatres as well. The whole argument for the the power of theatre is you bring people into the city. Whether it's London or anywhere across the country, it's not just even the theatre people. It, this, this actually knocks on everywhere. But within the theatre, what's happening again, is obviously you still have the, some of these performers that are able to get out and perform now. But the bigger shows, the ones that require backstage crew, hair and makeup people, the people that do the sets, the people that do the lighting, absolutely all the box office, there is is no work for them, especially with the smaller shows again. Right. And they are not able to be furloughed. These people cannot be furloughed. Mm. They're self-employed. It's desperately bad for them.
3: It's really awful, isn't it? And is it the same
1: pretty much around the world? Is anything opening up? What's New York like? Uh, New York has said that they're going to reopen in September. And September, they're opening at full capacity. But obviously, that for them is an even longer gap until they've reopened. So they've got absolutely the same situation. I have friends in New York um, I was over there to see a show about 80 just before lockdown. Mm. Um, met some really gorgeous people, um, and little by little, they were leaving New York. One of the girls I know, she's gone back to Texas. Um, a massive drain on the creative centre, and New York is obviously Manhattan for yeah. that as well. Right, it's, very- it's
3: it's absolutely sort of shocking, it's quite sad really And Do you yes. think Andrew Lloyd Webber will make this promise good? Do you think that if we, as we expect, Boris Johnson will say well, you know, it's going to have to be another four weeks do you think Andrew will actually just open up and, and take his chances?
1: I, I can't speak for Andrew Lloyd Webber and obviously then you'll have a standoff with the government but also, um, yes, this is all very well it's, it, the, the test is going to be the public hmm. it, will the public come? Andrew Lloyd Webber may very well say, "Absolutely, I'm opening up the theatres, but will people come as well?" Um, and we've seen so far that people are desperate to get out and get on the streets, but theatre audiences are still a slightly different prospect. Yeah. Although to so, be fair,
3: he's not—he's not asking for sort of you know, you know rogue theatres to be opened. He's asking for theatres to be opened with the proviso that everybody who goes in there takes a test, and if it's negative, then they can
1: enter. But then again, this you know this is quite a—it's a, not complicated, but it's it involves you going and getting a test yes and that commitment from people as well um and i'm not sure that people still know how to do that or would they do that um when i spoke to cameron mcintosh two weeks ago he said that what's happening is very very much there's a lot of confidence he said ticket bookings for the end of the year are pretty much at pre-covid levels which is extraordinary it's fantastic right but this in-between period at the moment people are unsure what to do so I mean, I wish Andrew Lloyd Webber every luck. Yes. But will Will people come as well?
3: No, I think you're right because I think there are certain people who don't seem to mind. I mean, I personally have never taken a test. I don't really want to take a test to go somewhere. I just find that too much of an imposition. In the same way that I don't really want to take a test to get on a plane, and I'd rather just wait until it's all, you know, as far as, far as I'm concerned, back to normal.
1: Yeah. No. This. I think this is this is going to be the crux of it, and also. Um, it's, it's your theatre audience and that's families as well and older people and all those and again, it's, you know, people at risk. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I pray. I'm speaking to people. I spoke to name dropping uh, Michael Ball last week. Yeah. Um, and they've got Hairspray about to open mm. on the, at the end of June as well. And he said this is a full production. This is a full Broadway production, which involves all the crew, all the backstage. It cannot be done on reduced opening. No. Uh, and can he, they
3: rehearse that anywhere at the moment?
1: They have been rehearsing. They've absolutely been rehearsing. They have to rehearse in in smaller groups, and they have to rehearse with masks and all the safety protocols. They have been rehearsing, um, but they're very very nervous. And also, he said, you know, they're running out of patience. The theatre industry has obviously been very vocal. But also, this is from nice guy Mister Michael Ball, mm. who literally said, "If this goes on, he said we'll accept twenty first. There's going to be a bit of a shuffling." he said it goes on for maybe more than two weeks he said the theatre industry will not forgive the government mm. and mainly the lack of clarity it's this is the problem people can't plan so they they you can't just open a show out of the blue
3: no and that's the issue with everything isn't it i mean you can't just go on holiday tomorrow when they say oh no you can go on holiday well no you've got you know kids at school you've got people that you might want to go with you've got friends who can't take time off work and all of that and i see that oliver dowden uh, in the times today didn't exactly cover himself with glory down in cornwall because he apparently said uh, after jill biden went to the minac uh, theater that op- lovely open air sort of amphitheater down there uh, that the government
1: had saved it from having to close it turned out that wasn't true no well there's, uh, there's been an awful an awful lot of spin and an awful lot of possibly taking um, the credit for things that weren't necessarily. Um, And even again, Michael Ball's comment was perhaps a little more acknowledgement of mistakes being made might have been nice as well. It's just ever shifting goalposts. And also this, you know, you have to remember this massive bailout money was a loan. It's not, it wasn't just an input of cash. Mm. This was a loan to the arts. This has got to be paid back. Not everybody got this money. And also shows can't get insurance. Mm. So this is a crucial thing, which people might not be aware of. You can't get insured at the moment to open a show against covid and pandemic right. so if you open again and then you close again pe- people literally have been losing millions um, when the shows opened and closed especially last december hmm. with that shambles um, of a, a week or two if we're going to have a wonderful christmas um and then they close shows people lost their own money yeah and the government hasn't underwritten they haven't made any comment or acknowledgement of this as well and that's crucial moving forward. Yeah,
3: that's just horrendous, isn't it? Well, listen, Stefan, let's hope um, that there's some good news uh, later on today. I'm not too optimistic, but but let's hope it's all back to normal soon. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Stefan is stage editor uh, of the Sunday Express and the Sunday Mirror. I mean, it's just ridiculous because, again, it's not just about people like Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I know many people will go, oh, well, he's got loads of money. It's fine. He hasn't actually because he's mortgaged his home against the business that he's got. And don't forget, he's running a multi-million pound business which hasn't made any money for the best part of about 18 months, effectively, right? So imagine not making any money for 18 months. You know, yes, he might have been given money to furlough some of his staff, but there's massive numbers of people in the theatre business and in the arts in general who are not on furlough, who have had to go and find other jobs. It's a bleeding shambles, I'm afraid, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop today. Talk radio across the UK,
2: online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.